connected. Today, we have questions and answers based on relationship and marriage. And it's going to be fun. If you have questions, there's a microphone there. As and when, you raise your hands, and then you can ask the question. Thank you. So we have our pastor and Mrs. Ajay. Pastor Emmanuel Ajay and Mrs. Victoria Ajay, who are going to take us through the answering of the questions. So let's welcome them with a clap offering. You don't look excited. <laughs> Please be excited. Okay. Now has decided to be on the stage with us. Let's let's Okay, so to begin with, mostly when you're looking for a partner, there are some things that you may want to see or you want to see in a partner. And these days, it's, it's very difficult because there are lots of things that people are looking for in partners. So the first question for you today is, what value should we look out for in a partner? When looking for someone to spend the rest of your life with, what are some of the very important values that you have to look out for? In fact, with this session, I think Vicky is going to do a lot of the talking. Um, she, she is the expert in this area. Uh, so I'll, I'll let her talk, and then I mean, I'll do the additions when, uh, as of when we go through. So, uh, Vicky. Well, um, what are some of the values you should look out for? Well, to answer this question, I'll say that when we are looking for a marriage partner, there are negotiable characteristics you should look out for, and there are things that are non-negotiables. By non-negotiables, I'm saying that there are things that have to be there. It's essential. It's core. It's critical. You can't say, okay, well, it's not there, so if you have a fan, it's a... But there are some other things that are like, okay, well, this is non-negotiable. I would have liked it, but it's not such a critical factor. So my first non-negotiable factor is that the person has to be born again. The person has to know God. The person has to not just be born again by word of mouth, but the person has to be actively living out his Christian faith. Scripture says that can two work together unless they are agreed. Agreed in terms of who God is, agreed in terms of where the relationship is headed, agreed in terms of the values, because the values we profess as Christians is very different from that of an unbeliever, very different from someone else in another religion, etc. So you have to be agreed in value, and the first value that's non-negotiable is that the person ought to be a Christian, non-negotiable, actively living out his Christian faith, because that person, if the person doesn't know God, the person cannot love you the way God wants you to be loved. Scripture says that for the love of God has been shared abroad in our hearts. And because God's love is shared abroad in our hearts, we are able to love other people with the help of the Holy Spirit, the way he wants us to love. So if you go dating, oh, this, this guy, I think he's cool, he's this, he's that, but you negate the fact that he's not Christian. Maybe he's Muslim, maybe he is, um, I had a friend who was Christian, he told me that, oh, he dated a Hindu. I'm like, wow, you dated a Hindu. I mean, he didn't see anything wrong with it, but eventually, along the line, it's going to tell, because the only person who can truly love you, who can truly care for you the way God wants it, is a person who is born again. So non-negotiable factor, born again, bearing fruits of the Holy Spirit, not just coming to church. But I realize that these days, also people marry for all sorts of reasons. Um, 
it's an unnegotiable. For example, where I used to work at one counseling session was a major issue. The wife came into counseling and she was in tears, etc. I mean, they were on their necks all the time. In fact, when she was pregnant, the guy almost killed her husband. He beat her. She almost miscarried. Now you start to delve, okay, what, what, what are these things? Why, why is such and such a thing happening? You realize that the basis of the marriage was even faulting in the beginning. The guy was so good looking. My, if you see him, you're like, wow, this guy is handsome. The woman said that, look, she wanted her children to look a certain way. So she went into the marriage, she was like, no, this guy has the looks. He is tall, he's handsome, he has some curly hair. Oh my goodness, like, this is the guy I want to marry. So she married him. And she had, I mean, when she got pregnant, he almost, she almost miscarried. The children she wanted to look like him. She almost miscarried them. But she did. She went ahead, got married, and then they had troubles from day one. And it was such a messy situation. So much details that can't even be said here. But it's because she went after the wrong things. So looks are non-negotiable. It's true that errors or sexual, physical attraction plays a role in marriage. But it's not the core thing. In fact, research actually shows that this physical attraction that we are going after, in about two to three years in mind, it fades away. It fades away. And then you are left with working out the daily details. It even requires extra work to work that aspect of your physical intimacy. So we don't elevate physical attraction or looks above other non-negotiable traits, like having the person being born again, etc. In fact, looks fade. The thing you are going for, I remember a friend of mine, he, might, he had so much hair. And then a few years down the line, he's only been married seven years. I met him the other day, I'm like, my goodness, what happened to your hair? He's already going bald. So if you marry the person because of such and such an issue, it looks fade. It might fade. And when you are left with the person, would you still care about this person? Would you still love this person? And oh, there's also news that sometimes you go following God's will. Definitely praying about it so you can know that this is God's will for you. The person might not necessarily have the thing that you think attracts you to the person, but when you follow after God's will, you realize that you begin to notice that wow, this sensation thing actually attracts me. I didn't know, I didn't see it. I think I'm talking too much. If you leave me, I'll go on and on. But I'll let Pastor you must speak then, just in case you want me to give you a practical example about not going after looks. Um, and having the attraction, etc., come along. You, you let me say, because I want to tell you something about Pastor Ima that he doesn't want you to know. So, just in case he wants to know, you tell the brother to ask me. <laughs> I don't know if Pastor Ima has anything else he wants so, to say. So, like Vicky said, um, you, I mean, the first and foremost thing being born again, because you need someone whose heart is regenerated. I mean, this whole issue about loving and having an established relationship, it, it can't happen without a regenerated heart. Like, the heart has to be changed and must conform to the Christ-likeness. Because no matter how good your intentions are, and those who are married here, you know, that no matter how good your intentions are, there are times that you can, you can get emotionally off and upset that it only takes the Holy Spirit to bring you back to be able to love well. But one of the things that I want to talk about in terms of um, equality is, especially this is to um, the ladies, I mean, it's for both sides, but it's especially to the ladies that look out for a guy who is pursuing his assignment or purpose. I mean, what is this guy doing 
that you are coming to join him to do together? Is it just, is it just an issue of um, chilling and going to every restaurant that you can go every week because that's what is in our minds now. That's what we see on the television now. Or oh, it, it, it's about, oh, you want to help me? Yeah, so is it, is it, is it just about um, the chilling and the fun and all of that? No, there has to be something that this guy is doing that you are coming together to do. As a matter of fact, marriage is very much about assignment and purpose. So if this guy doesn't have a vision, he doesn't know where he's going, he doesn't have anything that is like set his, his mind that he can share with you and tell you that this is our future, this is where we are going, this is what we want to accomplish, then you have to be very careful because you'll be frustrated in the marriage. The reason I'm saying you'll be frustrated is that every woman, and I want to say this, that every woman has been equipped with the ability and the capacity to turn something small into something huge. So if a woman is in a marriage and there is nothing to turn, the woman becomes frustrated. So you have to be wired. I mean, the person you are, you are going to get married to, you, you should be wired to assist and help the person with something a vision because when you come in there and and i like something that a man of god says he said give a woman anything and she'll multiply it and give it back to you like give the woman love and she'll multiply and give it back to you give the woman i mean anger she'll multiply it and give it back to you i mean like whatever you give to the woman she'll incubate it and then multiply it and give it back to you so it's very important to look out for a person who is purpose driven the person might not have all the money in the world as a matter of fact when vicky met me i didn't have, what did i have the person might not have anything, but the person, if the person has vision, then you know that even if the person doesn't have anything now, by virtue of the vision and the purpose-driven life, both of you can work towards something and gradually you will get there and you will have more than what another person would have gone after. So that's one very key um, characteristic that I think that you should be covering. Yes, and, and, and that, that's excellent, Pastor. I mean, just to add that the, the, the vision is not the job. You know, it's not the fact that he's a banker. That, that's not the vision. So he's got work. So we encourage that when you're going to get married, you must work because, I mean, you need money in order to make the family run, the systems run, etc. But the vision is not necessarily the job that the person is on. Why on earth am I here for? What on earth am I here for? What has God called me to? What has God purposed me to? It doesn't necessarily mean God has called you into full-time active ministry like my husband or something. But what, what is God's calling on your life? What are you pursuing besides the job? Do you get it? So maybe if we have more time, we'll probably expand on this. But you don't go marrying someone because of money. Many people have followed money and ended up in tears. Money is not... Uh, the thing to go after when you are looking for, how do you call it, um, a marriage partner. If you look at all the right things and he has money in addition, that's just a bonus. But if you put money first, you are going to miss it. It's, it's just going to be totally disastrous. Thank you. But it's also important to be physically attracted to a person, right? Uh-huh. Deborah just wants me to tell you about Pastor Iman. Okay, so I'll tell you about Pastor Iman. <coughs> about Pastor Emmanuel because he's been talking about me for a very long time. In fact, when we met Pastor, when I met Emmanuel, 
When I met my dad, I think he's handsome. He's not handsome. I mean, see here, see his hair, oh my God. But when I met Pastor Emmanuel, there was nothing about him that attracted me. Oh my goodness, I said it. There was nothing about him that attracted me. Oh, Pastor Emmanuel, oh my goodness, he had cut his hair. Down, cry. You see that kind of haircut that there's no hair left on your head. <laughs> you have hair, but it's like you have no hair, no beard, no mustache, nothing. Oh my God. And he used to wear this baggy, oversized shirt. <laughs> he was like, oh my, oh yeah, oh my, I was like, oh goodness. You know, that was, I was like, huh? But you know, when I met him, I had become born again in SHS, so I met him somewhere in uni. I think that was 200 or 300. We weren't dating or anything. But we had actually gone for a Bible study. We were in the same fellowship. And that day, he was the one supposed to give the exposition on the word. When he's, and I was a Lakulaku Christian, by God's grace. I've never been Lakulaku. I've taken my Bible study seriously, my prayer life seriously. So I thought I was on fire. When this, he was so quiet. How oh my, you even know he's in the room. He talks a lot these days, but he was so quiet. And now I just couldn't imagine it. So he didn't have, it was like what scripture said of Jesus. There was nothing calmly about him, in my opinion. So, but when he started to uh, open the word of God and explain it, I was like, wow, oh my God, this gentleman is loaded. That was the first thing. And to date, I still find that very satisfying, that he knows the word, that he understands it, that he can explain it, that he just doesn't know it, but he's actually allowing God's word to transform him on the inside. And I've seen him move from one level to another to another. That was the first thing. I was like, wow, this is somebody I want to get to know because he had depth in the word. He had depth in the Lord. He was a growing, maturing Christian. So like I said, fast forward. So then one day, we're just friends, etc. Then one day, he shows up at my hostel. I don't know whether he was fasting and praying, so he hadn't been able to go to the barber and cut his hair as usual. But he came. He was looking also scruffy. His hair had grown. He actually had this nice beard and mustache. I was like, wow, the guy is handsome. <laughs> he is handsome. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, oh, he is handsome. So, yeah, the, the, the looks, the exercise. It does how you call it. It matters, but um, it, it matters. These are not the things. If I was going out for looks, etc., I, I would have followed after lots of other people, but I wasn't looking out for looks. And I realized that it did. And there are other things that I didn't even know that attracts me that along the line, when we started dating, I was like, wow, this is actually, I actually find this thing attractive. For example, doesn't he have nice big eyes? Nice. <laughs> and he gives the girls, look at my eyes. It always looks like that. He has nice big I never knew I like nice big eyes. Like, oh my God, this guy is fine. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, she, she, she's making my shyness come. <laughs> so, yes, I'm sure if he had the opportunity to tell you, he also told you that when he met me, there was nothing you want so to give tell me. <laughs> No, but look, time is going, time is going, time is going. Time is going. Time is going. I, I have only 30 no, seconds to say it. <laughs> yeah, so, so, yeah, so that there should be, like because, um, Deborah was asking, there should be some form of physical attractiveness. In fact, what she is saying, I mean, was not attractive. Me, I felt like I was like a live boy. I'm sure the other ladies liked it. But, uh, but, but when, I, when, when, when we met on campus, Again, we are coming back to the issue of priorities, you know, setting. Of course, I'm not saying that don't be attracted to the person. But Vicky, only two things mattered to her in school. Her books 
and a God. So when you see Vicky on campus, the hair is all over the place. <laughs> and then she had a certain laptop bag like this and then some skirt, like some deeper life. <laughs> and, and like, so I always used to call her the lady with the scattered hair. Like, you know, I always like my, by nature, naturally, I like things to be kept. I mean, like things have to be kept. That's why it's, those of you who come to church and you see that even when a chair is tilted a little, I'll come and that's how I am. I mean, so I like the hair to be kept. It should be together. And can you imagine this scattered hair and everything? But, but, but as we started getting to know each other, I began to see a lot of virtuous things in her. The attraction started coming. And then I began to see the physical beauty beyond, I mean, the scattered hair. Because then one particular day, I think we had an occasion. She was actually our UCF um, secretary, uh, vice secretary. So she used to read announcements. You know, when she's going to read announcements, she would put the scattered hair in, in good condition because she's before thousands of people. And, and, you know, then I saw, I said, wow, beautiful. You know, so, so yes, people go in after the, the physical attractiveness first. And sometimes when you go after that, you really miss out on, on the true beauty inside that brings the physical attractiveness out. And you know what? One of my conclusions is that no matter what you think about someone in terms of how unattractive they are, just do one or two things to the person and, and the beauty will come out. I mean, you, you know women, you know that not all hairstyles fit you. But when you do a particular one, we say, Charlie, wow. So, so physical attractiveness is very good. It's very important in marriage. But don't set that as your first focus. Um, look out for the internal things, virtues. And then you can now go out to that. Okay, so another question. Most of the times, people meet and then when they realize that they are compatible, they decide that, okay, let's move in together before we get, I mean, we are going to get married anyways. So let's move in together. And these days it's very common. People move in together before they actually do the rights, get married. And so the question is, is it okay to cohabit or to stay with your partner before marriage? It's a very interesting question. I mean, it's, it's a no, straight no. Like, there, there are some things that are not like we can't camouflage it and we can't we can't put it in a gray area. It is it is either black or white. Now, why are you cohabiting? Why why do you want to stay together when you are not married? Quite a number of times, the reason why people want to stay together is because of the physical attractiveness. That's 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 actually the the, the first thing. I mean, the physical attractiveness to come together and then and have physical intimacy and union. And scripture is very clear about it. Flee fornication. I mean, and it says whatever sin a man does is outside the body, but anyone who commits fornication or immorality is, I mean, sins against the body. And so, cohabiting, I can't, I don't know 
how two people, a male and a female, who are attracted to each other can stay together in the same house and say they are not having any sexual intercourse. I mean, I don't know how that is possible. Maybe someone can tell me here. <laughs> but but somewhere, somehow, once you stay together, you're going to see... Once you stay together, you are going to see, I mean, you are going to see your, your nakedness. I mean, you would see a, a certain part of the person's body somewhere, somehow. Even Jesus said, when you lust after the woman, you have committed adultery already in your heart. How much more staying inside the house together? And then, I mean, and so the reason why it has become common is because the world tries to de define how we live. But as Christians, the Bible defines how we live. And so we are watching all forms of things, telenovelas and movies. And, and so constantly we are being filled with the image of this is what it's supposed to be. But that is not what it's supposed to be. Scripture is straight away against it. So there's nothing like cohabiting. And I've heard people say that, oh, but if I don't live with her, sorry, if I don't live with her and then try to see how she is, how would I like, how would I know whether she's a marriage material? I, I like something that someone put up on Facebook the other day. He said he went to a certain supermarket and they had written on the bread, they had written, they had put a notice on the bread, don't touch <laughs> before you buy. Like, the, the notice was actually, you, you are not supposed to feel it before you buy it. If you pick it, that is what you are buying. So, and, and, and he made a very interesting analogy that even the bread, they are saying, don't touch it before you buy it. How much more a woman? I mean, you can't go about saying that I, I want to test and try the person. Why? Is, is the person a, a, a testing machine or something? No, you want to test and try. So if, if the person is not correct, then you move on to another person and, I mean, and try and, and test. And then you move on to another person. It is called abuse. Abuse means abnormal usage. God never intended for us to abuse. God never intended for us to try human beings and then when we feel the person is right, then we settle with the person. And so it is an outright no. No matter what the world says, it is an outright no. Yes, I thought I was supposed to be answering most of the questions. <laughs> Anyways, right, just to ask what you say, I think that's it. It's outright no. Because the Bible is a rule book. We can't do anything outside of what the Bible says. <coughs> now, some people say that it's because we want to know the person better. But there are other outlets to get to know the person. Get to know the person. <coughs> but there are other outlets to get to know a person. So you can get to know the person together in group company. You can get to know the person even when you visit. And as much as possible... You try to know the person, see how the person relates to their siblings, their family member, when you are in church fellowship or you go to places, how the person talks, how the person responds to the person is angry. So you try to find other contexts to get to know the person. This gives you a better, people can pretend. You've come to my house, you are living with me. Why? You are not married. I like what you are doing for me, you are cooking for me, you are washing for me, etc. Why should I want it to stop? So you try to get to know the person outside of that context so you can actually get to know the person better now um some other people claim that um 
like as I said, that we don't go testing relationship. I think that the reason why most people go about trying to test is because we don't have the patience to pray and ask God, God, is this your will for me? Most often, our heart has gone after the person. We so want it to be God's will that we go after and say, God, it's Kwame or it's Kwame. God, I'm praying, but you know it's Kwame, right? You have to say it's Kwame. It's Kwame I want a new other person. Kwame, oh, Kwame. God is saying, no, it's not Kwame, oh. You're like, God, it's Kwame. No, it's not Kwame, oh, God. It has to be Kwame. You don't know. Don't you see the way he's nice? This is the way when he comes to church, he's playing the piano, etc. But God might be saying, that, look, this is not the right person for you. The fact that somebody is even a good person doesn't mean that it is God's person for you. A good person is not necessarily God's person. So as Christians, you have to involve God, even right from the start. God, is this the person for me? And if your heart has already taken that, you have to be able to go back, work through the emotions and say, oh God, clear my heart. You know my heart is already longing after this guy. I already think he's the right person. But God, lead me. If he's not the one, help me. Help me my affections, my emotions. Help me to get over this person and lead me in your will. And it's only in God's will that I would find true satisfaction. Amen. Before Debbie comes in, when Vicky was talking, I just something just struck me. Maybe it's for someone. But you see, when especially as a lady, when you move in with a guy before the guy marries you, you're not going to gain the respect that you ought to have as the queen in the home. Because if you if you if you move in, what you've done is that you've cheapened yourself. You've lowered your value. This guy is supposed to cherish you and honor you and know that, look, it, it took me something to get this woman into my house, into my home. And so don't, don't push yourself out there and, 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 um, and what do you call it? Go and stay with the person or go and spend weekends with the person or go and watch for the person or go and cook for the person. You, the value system drops. And you see, men, eh, no matter who we are, we are men. We are men. That is why we need the Spirit of God to help us. But generally, men are such that we are adventurous. We like new things. And so, if you don't let that value come upon you and you throw yourself in there, this, this same guy will find another person and, and put you away and, and do the same. Repeat. And it's, it's so common. When I was on campus, it was terrible. Even on campus, when people were staying in hostels, there were girls that were coming to stay with them. And these guys would just like change them like that. You get it? Like I had a, a roommate in one of my levels and, and the, they were living like married people. The one particular day I was so tired, I was asleep and the girl woke me up. Like the girl, they had, she had come to visit and woke me up and started complaining about how the guy is going with another girl to another place. I didn't know whether to tell her that. <laughs> like, like, you know, voila, voila, like, you deserve, no, but, but as a pastor, I mean, I wasn't even a pastor, but having a pastor, I had, I had to just, you know, advise and encourage and tell her that, look, you've got to make the right decision. But the thing is that if you push yourself out there, you lose your value. Your value drops. And, and later, a lot of issues happen in marriage, and it's because of this particular issue. Yes. And not to extend it, but actually the research shows that couples who cohabit before they get married, when they do get married, the marital satisfaction is very low. Because you might be saying that, oh, but this person and such and such a person did it, but they are still married. But marital satisfaction is also really low in among such couples. I'm not saying that God doesn't have that to restore, but don't try God. 
you know, he says no, then he said no. And let's spend our dating habits actually doing things that would help us to get to know each other. Not just chilling. We conducted a research, a survey some time back amongst um, hundreds, almost thousands of young couples who were dating. What do you do when you are dating? We watch a movie, then watch a movie, then go for a wedding, then we do stuff you are not supposed to do. What do you do? Oh, we go for a wedding, we watch movies, then we do stuff that we are not supposed to do. What do you do? Oh, we go to the pool. They are just chilling, chilling sisters, chilling. If you keep chilling with the person, how will you get to know the person? Ask the hard questions. If you go on a date, ask regular questions. What are your values? What do you think about parenting? What do you think about money? How do you think? Are you a saver? Are you a spender? What is your value regarding God? Do you think that, that we should include God as a, as a key person in our relationship? What do you think? Ask the right questions so that you are not tempted to go and move in with the person to know if the person has the right answers and you are praying about it, you know that definitely this is the right guy for me. So don't move in to know the right person. Wait. Get to know the person. Pray. Let God lead you. And then after, make a move. Amen. Amen. I think Pastor Ima touched on one of the questions I have here. Whether it's okay to cook, wash, and do things for your partner before marriage. Not in the sense that you are staying with a person, but you visit and he has some dirty clothes and, and you decide to wash your comes over and you cook for him. Is it okay? Be doing that before marriage. Ah, okay, I, this is my answer. Uh, no, it's not okay. No, but I'm going to explain my no. No, it's not okay. Why are you his? Uh, are you a washer? Are you a washing machine? Are you a cook? Are you a chef? Is he looking for a cook? Is he looking for a chef? Is he looking for a handmaid to come and wash his clothes for him? That said, I mean, when I was dating Pastor Emmanuel, dating, of course, he'd come visit me. He's hungry. I'll cook. Well, eat. I'll not get up and say, it's my day, he's on campus. Or, hey, he has no food. What will I do now? I'll go to market. Every weekend, I'm cooking stew. Say, hey, Pastor Emma, this is for you, this is for me. Every weekend, kiki, kiki, kiki. Or, oh, I'm washing. Oh, okay, can you bring your thing that I'll be washing? Okay, every weekend, I'm washing all that. Thing. No, that one is an absolute no. I mean, when you do get, and you know, don't forget that sometimes these are the same things that married people marry. They're going to get into marriage. They complain about, you know, because times are, uh, marital roles are changing. The core thing still is that the man is the head of them in any Christian marriage, okay? But in terms of, um, how do you call it, roles, roles, marital roles, they are changing. We are both working. Those days, somebody was working, we are both working. So I go out, we cook. You are, still going, you go, are you going to wait for me to come back, heat the food and put it on your table when there's food already there? Sometimes Pasaimano cooks. In fact, he's the best at jollof. So when it's jollof day, you know, Pasaima is yours. So I'm, not, I'm just going to sit down and just wait for this food. Actually, he's cooking. You know, there, since I, when I got pregnant, I had a baby. Most of the times, he does the washing. When we first got married, we were washing together. Then when we couldn't, we employed someone to do it for us. Then as we go ahead, go and washing machine. Extra, but he still he claims he does the washing. That's the easy part. He dumps it inside. This is the machine. <laughs> that is all. He puts it inside. That's all. This is inside. It's, and it's, take them out. That's it. And I do the difficult part. But you know, but these are not the things. These are the, the things you should be looking out for. Sparing each other towards love and good works. They're not spending all. Goes inside and he's unwell. He has a few things that needs to be done. I'll do it for him. 
I love him. I'll do it for him. But it's not a habit, a day-to-day affair. If you go thinking that this is what a woman is supposed to do and you take that same thing into your marriage, you're going to have trouble. So you are not, you're, you're not his cook. You're not his chef. You should learn to clean up after himself. I thought you're in the marriage situation. If you even leave something there, you want to, you say, ah, you used to do it. Why would you pick it up? You'll get tired. 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, 40 years, cleaning after an adult, a grown man. Who comes and, oh my goodness. <laughs> so no, no. But as the situation demands, here and there, once in a while, it's not a problem. I don't know if you have anything else to say. i just add this line to you, that whatever you are starting in the relationship, you should know that you should expect that it would continue. Because expectations are actually raised based on occurrences. So if you go cook, wash, and everything, and you get married, and the dynamics have changed now, I mean, your job might even be tighter than his job. You might have a more tight schedule. He might have a more flexible schedule. He'll still be expecting that you will come with all your tiredness. And these are the issues we are dealing with in marriage counseling. Come with all this tiredness, with all your tiredness, and still come and cook, and still come and wash, and still come and... You see, the dynamics, and let me say this, this, might, this is not in Deborah's question, but I, I, I think I should chip it in. That look, your fantasies and mindset, the unmarried ones, about marriage, is, is so different from marriage. <laughs> look, you saw me coming to stage with Nah. Before I got married, I never thought I'll be a pastor and I'll come to stage with my little girl. Because in your mind, you feel like, look, we marry, like everyone is going, things are just going, and you know, things are. No, but life happens. And so you don't want, you want to make sure that whatever you're doing in the relationship, you can sustain, you can keep it up. And so please, um, as much as possible, I mean, once a while, there can be a once a while where. For one reason or the other, you've got to, you go there and then cook or something. Like, for instance, some time ago, I wasn't well, and then um, Vicky came over. I think she prepared some soup or something. Some, but that was, that's just like once in a while. I remember even on campus, I washed my things. She came to my hostel, and then she wanted to help me to dry. She doesn't usually, she won't even wash anything. But that day, she was like, you are tired. You know what I mean? I told them no. The reason I told them no was that amongst my things were my boxer shorts. And I felt like, I'm not married to you. I won't even let you, like, dry my boxer shorts. You know, and, and that's the thing. You, you've got to be able to try to set a certain value system so that you can carry it on in the marriage. Amen. Amen. Okay, so please, does any one of you have any questions? Okay, sure. The microphone is, is there so you can understand, yeah. Uh, all right, okay. I thought you, you used the hair so that. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm much concerned about the first question. Uh, you said uh, it's. As a Christian, you have to marry to uh, a Christian. Uh, I'll be glad if we will get a, the part of the scriptures that supports that. Because I'm a little bit uh, of a different opinion. Um, I don't think as a Christian we have to condemn other religious sects. However, 
with those with other religions, some too are very good and righteous. So I don't see the reason why, as a Christian, you don't have to get married to another religious set. So that's my question. Okay, that's great. It's a very, very important question. I think we should have brought it because the scriptures are always our basis. So I'm going to read a very important passage in scripture. And then I'm going to explain um, on the, the basis for which the scripture is put and the basis for which you can't marry another person of another faith. And so, and, and, and then I'll distinguish between condemning or judging and then accepting. And so in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Okay, let me start from the verse 11 so we understand the context. So he says, Oh, Corinthians, we are spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open. So now Paul is having a discussion with them on, because then it's talking about liberty to do things. But now he, he says that, now let me also talk, let me also talk about what, I want to say in terms of your restrictions and your liberties. So he says that do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Then the 7 verse 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, this is a very interesting passage because now Paul is addressing the Corinthians who had now become born again. But the Corinthians were in a culture of idolatry. And they were in a culture where the people worshipped all forms of things. And now the believers, some had come to know Christ and were believers. But they were still in association with the unbelievers in everything that they were doing. And Paul was saying that this is what happens. He says, do not be unequally yoked. And he's giving us a very interesting picture. Because in those days, when they are going to plow a farm, they yoke two animals together. And the two animals will drag the cat and then be, start plowing the farm. The point, the problem is that when you yoke an ox with a cow, you will not achieve your objective because their pace is different. Their strength is different. Their weight is different. Their focus is different. Their orientation is different. And so if you yoke them together, you will not be able to accomplish the purpose why you brought them together. And so Paul is now setting the same example and saying that when a believer yokes together with an unbeliever, in whichever sense it is, and that is not to condemn or judge the unbeliever, but especially let's bring it into the context of marriage. What is happening is that you are born again, your spirit is regenerated, what the Holy Spirit will be prompting you and telling you about and talking to you about is not the same thing that will be happening with your unbelieving spouse. 
And what happens is that with the unbelieving spouse, because the heart is not regenerated and not born again, when you begin to talk about things of the spirit, this person cannot accept it, cannot understand it, cannot appreciate it. And it's in First Corinthians chapter 2. I mean, all the way from verse 10 downwards, where it talks about the spiritual man, the carnal man, the natural man. And so the point is that when the person is not born again, you are yoking two different people with two different focal points, two different orientations, two different, um, what do you call it, paths. And what is going to happen is that initially you might, and that's what we see in marriage. Vicky has worked in a family life. That's why I say she's the expert. She has worked in a family life um, directorate and they have seen all forms of things. The point is that initially you might see the marriage, you might see like things are, are nice because first few years you all want to, you know, gel and get things together. But the point is that as you go on, the friction begins to come because that person who is not born again will not understand I'm coming to fast for 21 days. I'm coming to church. There was a particular story, very, very sad story. This is a very real story. This guy pretended to be a Christian, actually came into the church, and then married the lady. And because his heart is not born again and it's not regenerated, he married the lady. They started the first, second year. And then now the girl, the lady wants to go to church. The, day, the time she's going to church, the guy says, I want you to pound fufu for me. Then the guy started showing his character and started showing his drinking. You know, and, and I, I keep on saying guys can hold things away from you for a long time if they want to get you. And so the point is that you are different in terms of the fact that your spirit is born again. You are regenerated. You belong to the kingdom of God. That person is not born again. No matter how good their intention is, no matter how good a person is, if the person does not have the spirit of God dwelling inside of them, look, you will get to a certain point and you realize that everything will begin to show and manifest. And that is why from our little experience, we say that, look, it is always good to go for someone who is one, born again, who is a born again, spirit-filled person, but one who is also allowing the word to work on them. In fact, sometimes we even go, I mean, barring the will of God, sometimes when you're even advising people in terms of marital commitment, you, 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 you also want to look at even their religious orientations and differences. Because if someone is from uh, um, which background? A charismatic background. And another person is from, let's say, a Catholic background. And not the, like Catholic renewal, but Catholic, town Catholic. Orientations are so different. They might even both be born again. But when it comes to a lot of things, you will have frictions in the marriage because your way of thinking and perceiving things are so different. And so to save you a lot of trouble later in life, it is always advisable from the passage to be yoked with someone who, who is also of the same faith. And yes, there are Muslims who are good people. There are Hindus who are good people. And, 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 and we have friends. Vicky, in fact, Vicky has one very close friend who is a Muslim. They are, they are both academics. But the point is that, I mean, they share academic issues and, and that's it. But the point is that when you come into the marriage context, it's a different thing. It's a, it's a different context altogether. You are becoming one flesh. And becoming one flesh, 
spiritually and in every sense. If the person is not born again, the truth is that you might start well, but there are a lot of issues that will pop out one particular day. One day. And we don't have the benefits of the future. Well said, Pastor. But we don't have the benefit. We are seeing it now. We can't see the future. And that's just to say in passing. But uh, growing up, um, my, well, my, maybe from, I've tried speaking with somebody very close to me. And I go like, I can't tell the person that I prayed about it and I'm certain. This is what God says. I mean, once I was telling a cousin of mine that, no, you need to be certain this is what God is. And she's like, ah, how do you know that? I'm certain. So it's something I could easily tell maybe. Emmanuel, or tell Emmanuel's prayer that, oh, I've been praying. You know, sometimes things look a certain way, but they are not. You can have several instances, but we don't bore you with details. But you can have several instances where you feel like, do this, but the Holy Spirit is leading you, and it's like, no, do it this way, do it this way. It goes against the norm. It doesn't make any sense, but you know that that's what the Spirit of the Lord is telling you. You do it, and it works out great. You do it, you might go through a period of hardship, but eventually it works out great. To go and say, no, I, this is what, where God is leading me to. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying. And this is going to look at you like, huh? Which Holy Spirit? And you know, we, can't, we don't have enough time to delve into it. But truly, for someone to love you, like Scripture says, that love husbands, love your wives. Not the secular definition of love. That husbands, love your wives. And the love that says that love is the greatest. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Love never fails. He's talking about a love originated from God, shed abroad in our hearts by God, and spurred on by the Holy Spirit. If a person is not born again, a person doesn't know God. If a person doesn't have the Holy Spirit living in him, guiding him, directing him in how to love you, you can never fully experience God's love. And man and woman, how would you ever fully walk into God's purpose together if this person is not born again? Doesn't even know what God wants him or her to do. He might be great on the outside, seems to be living the best life possible. But the question is, are you really living out God's assignment for you? Are you really living out the assignment that God has placed on the inside of you? It might seem strange that, hey, all this, all these, just because I want to find someone to get married to. But God, it's essential that we get God's approval of the person that we want to date. Because a marriage can either make you or unmake you. So you need to know God's approval. You need to have God's approval. And the first thing, the very first non-negotiable thing, is that this person must not just be born again, you know actively living for God. You must see him, that he's very fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 It's answered. Peace. That's the key. So we'll take the final question. Okay, two more questions. So okay. uh, thank you. My question is, is marriage a blessing or it's work? Marriage, is it a blessing or work? That's a very interesting. It's work. Marriage is okay. It's a very interesting. So marriage is both a blessing and work. So let's go back to the passage in scripture. I always like to fall back on scripture. In Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-eight, when when God had brought Adam and Eve together in a marital union, the Bible says, "And God blessed them, and said to them, Be fruitful." multiply, replenish, subdue, and have dominion. That word, uh, that word blessed in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word barak, which actually means to praise or to salute or to be in approval of. And so marriage, when it is done 
in the context of God's will and God's word and God's way is a blessing. It's a blessing in the sense that God releases his approval for fruitfulness from two people, for two people to be able to have influence and have dominion and to be able to accomplish so much together. So it's a blessing. It is work. It is work because when you go to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, I think from verse 17, when God placed Adam in the garden, God gave, no, verse 15, God gave Adam the responsibility to dress and keep it. Now, when Adam was dressing and keeping the garden, God, fast forward in verse 19, God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll find a helper comparable to him. So watch this. God had given an assignment or work to Adam. And now he's bringing in someone into Adam's life to be a helper. A helper means that the person is coming to assist for them to do the work together. And so, so marriage is work in the sense, first in the sense that it is an assignment that God is bringing both of you together. But in the other sense, it is work in the sense that you are two different people coming together to live together, to unify for a purpose. And based on your two different personalities, based on your two different backgrounds, based on your two different upbringings, based on your two different environments, you are going to work to make sure that you unite. And that is what a lot of young people today don't want to get to know that, look, it is hard work. Like, marriage is not the telenovela kind of thing that we see. Like, bring me breakfast in bed, and then I smile. Say, oh, honey, you're so sweet. I love oh you. Goodness. You're the best thing that ever happened. And then I go, then I bring chocolate, and I bring flour. Oh and it's like, goodness. the house never gets scattered. Hey, what's the last time you gave me flowers? I, I can't even remember. Oh, my goodness. Can, can you... Can I, have you, have you realized that when you watch those movies, the house is always together? Like, it's never scattered. All the lights are in place. The children never scatter anything. <laughs> Nothing ever happens. You only see the beauty. But, but marriage is work. It's hard work. Because, one, the two of you are going to... And, and our senior pastor set an example once when he was preaching. He brought two different paints together, blue and then yellow. And then he poured the same quantity of the blue and then the yellow into a glass. And then he started mixing it. And when he was mixing it, you could see some manya manya colors. And then, but he was still mixing it. And he was still mixing it. He was telling us that, look, this is how marriage is. You have to stir it. You have to mix it. You have to work it. You, you have to put in the effort. You, you have to be deliberate and intentional. Sometimes you're mixing and it's bad. It's not nice. It's not exciting. Like, you know, you know and it's part of the process. And, and you're still working it. But you still have to work it until it blends. And then it forms one color. And by the time it finishes, it forms a very nice greenish color. That is how marriage is. You're going to work. You, you, it's not going to be easy and nice all the time. Sometimes you have very, very hot arguments. Like even this morning, my wife and I had a very interesting argument. But we, we had to bury our differences and then come together and work together. That is how marriage is. You, you, you have to work it. And when the children come in, you have to work. They turn your life and your whole, everything upside down. And for, and for, you know, because I was a youth pastor for a very long time, 
No, for a while. I, I used to have a lot of the young ladies come to me and they tell them, Pastor Imamiti, I want to marry. He said, I can enjoy the things that you enjoy. I can enjoy the things that you enjoy. And I look at them and I start smiling and laughing. Because when the children even come, your sex life changes. Like a lot of things change. So, you know, and, and you know, we painted the picture out to make it look like, like, when, when we are just we are just together we smile and everything is all right and, and no 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 it, Instagram highlights yeah yeah and, 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 and let me tell you something when you see a picture of two people together on Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp it is a picture what happened before the picture you have no idea pictures are pictures let's smile. We just took a picture. Now, if we fought just some 30 seconds before we took the picture, does it tell in the picture? No. You don't see it. So please don't judge. Don't, don't try to see marriage from the pictures. and the, Look, people act. People can. People can. Annie, how are you? I love you so much. You are the best thing that ever happened to me. Cut. Then we fight. So marriage is work. It's a blessing. It's a blessing because, look, when God releases his blessing in a marriage, look, there are a lot of things that you accomplish in marriage that you can't, like, there's a blessing that comes, a favor that comes upon marriage that you can't get outside of marriage. But it's also work because you're going to work an assignment, but you're also going to work your unity together. Let me say this final thing. Our senior pastor said something. After he married uh, uh, his wife for, 25 years. Now they are married for about 30 something years. But when he married the wife at 25 years, he went to the bathroom and then the wife was scrubbing the bathroom and then he went to touch her to play. She's like, don't touch me, don't touch me. He was like, he was shocked. Like, like why? He's like, don't you know that when I'm scrubbing and I'm doing dirty things, I don't like you to touch me. 25 years. It was after 25 years he discovered that when his wife is <laughs> scrubbing <laughs> or doing something, you don't touch. Like, marriage is work. Yes, it's so much work, Pastor I just want to encourage you, don't give up. You have to be tenacious like the city of Lebanon. Don't give up. There's some people say that, look, it's marriage. It's not, it's, not, it's not a matter of it takes two. Don't the two of you have to work to make it work? Yes. But you know, when God says you should agape your spouse or you should agape how your spouse or you should love them, these are the two Greek words that scripture uses. He's saying that you should love them as I have loved you. I loved you when you were still in sin, when you were doing the things that I didn't like that were wrong. I still loved you. So your spouse hasn't changed on that matter. You've talked about it a trillion times. They're still doing the same thing. He says love. Love. You want to see that a guy with scripture says that love is patient. It suffers long. It does nothing to use my born, my Nigerian friend's accent to suffer long in. It won't tell you to suffer long. Patience means that your spouse is going to do something that you don't like. That will irk you. It would irritate you. He says suffer long. Keep loving the person until you change. Keep praying for the person. Even prayer is an act of love. Agape refers to the work of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrong. You last two years, you did this. Last week, you did it. When I came back from work today, you have done the same thing. When would you change? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Forgives. 
forgiven you. He didn't ask for you to forgive him. He has forgiven you. So why would he change? He hasn't changed though. But you're still loving the person. I'm loving you. When would he start doing the things that I want him to do? If he doesn't do it, then it's enough. My love has ended. It has died. I mean, that is it. We too will see. That's not love. Oh. Yeah, the two of you are going to be seeing some. One of you makes up your mind. Okay, I'm tired. And research has shown that the first two to five years of the marriage are very critical. If you can make it through the first two to five years, that's where all the fight, because they're not trying to gel like the illustration pastor I might use. Then after that is when you're really going to settle into the marriage. Two to five years. It's like, it's, I mean, we've had, it's going to be, it's going to be like, war. one great man of God I highly respect so much. He was preaching once and he said that marriage is war. Yes, marriage is warfare, but you're not there to fight your spouse. You are there to fight spiritually. You pray. This thing is not working. That's how Christian Christ is up in all things by prayer and supplication. You go down on your knees and you start praying, Kadoshadaya. Lord, you know that my husband, he's the head. Lord, you know that your word says that you direct his heart like a water cause. God, this issue, this matter, you press in. Scripture says that men ought to pray and not give up. By you, you prayed once. You pray twice. We say come for prayer meeting and prayer about your marriage. Because you've made up your mind that I will not come. Means me, ma. Then the issue is still going on. Yet you say that you are tired. You are tired. It's not changing. It's not changing. So I'm tired. I'm not going to do it. Look, marriage is work. It's warfare. You have to war for it spiritually. You will ask yourself, why is people married 20, 30 years later? I know sometimes there are issues that haven't been fully dealt with and they are still coming up. But if you love this person, you are sure that this is God's will for my life. You are committed to make the marriage work. You bear this person up in prayer. You put in your all. You keep doing. Keep giving. Keep loving. And keep coming to God, going on your knees and praying for that person and trusting God that this marriage, this thing that you have instituted would work out. So marriage is no joke. It's not for kids. It's not for the fun of it. You think I'm going to get married and take nice pictures and wear the same clothes as my husband. Oh my goodness. You, you do that first year, second year. You, that's it. That's it. You can survey and ask a lot of married couples how the marriage has been, how it's going, etc. It's amazing. Marriage is amazing. It's fantastic. I always say, and it's not based on feeling, Love is a decision. Agapao means that it's a decision. I love you. It's a social and moral obligation. I chose you. I'm obligated to love you. It's a proper thing to do. I love you. I have made up my mind. I'm disposed to loving you sacrificially. I love you. That's just love in marriage. You have to. So it's work. It's a lot of work. This to, to those who are not married, don't get scared. You know, we hear people saying a lot of things and sometimes you feel like I'm scared to get married. No, don't get scared. Like, be ready to get into it. Because there's a blessing in the marriage. But when you work it, you will see the blessing of it. You would, you would see the love of it. Look, I wouldn't trade my family for anything. Like, it's a blessing. It's a, I, sometimes when they are asleep, I, look, I, wake up, I wake up very early. So when I wake up and I, sometimes I just look at them, it's like, wow, God, I thank you. I'm blessed. Like, I'm blessed, my wife. I'm blessed, my kids. Th- these are the blessings. I mean, there are a lot of things that come out of being married. The work part is there. But you have to be ready for the responsibility of working the marriage. And when you work it, you will see the joy of it. You see the excitement of it. You would have the love of it. Amen. Amen. Just, I'm hoping this is the last thing on this matter, but don't, don't threaten. Don't threaten your spouse. Someone does something like, if you do, I'll leave you. I wish I hadn't married you. Look, you'll be filled with the fruits of your mouth. 
what you say, what you say, you rip it. Because, I mean, is it a threat? The devil, he just, someone said that, look, he's just hanging around, he's just waiting for you to say, they say, hey, ah, I'm not okay, yo. He has said it, let it happen then. You know, so you have to speak positive things. It's not easy, but you have to. When I, 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 I was convinced in my heart, I prayed, I was saying I was in manual. I told myself, this is it, it's for life. This thing by God's grace is for life, regardless of what comes away. And we've had challenges, but I've made up my mind that regardless, he's the one for me. I'm staying in this marriage. He's staying in this marriage. We are committed to God. We are committed to each other. We are going to make this marriage work. Don't give up easily. Don't say things you don't mean. You, you didn't mean it when you said it. Don't say things you don't mean. Don't threaten your spouse. Who likes to be threatened? Even kids, if you say, eat the food, don't know eat. If you don't eat, I'll do it. Don't, don't even mind. African say, okay, then they mean you cry. Susu. Now, nah, I'll not eat. She'll close her mouth. You force her. She'll be looking at you. As soon as you tell, ah, she vomits everything. I'm like, really? Even kids. They don't want to be forced. They don't want to be threatened. How much more a grown-up man or a grown-up woman? Please, let's use our mouth to say the right things in our marriages. Amen. Amen. Yeah, take the last question. You have stats. Yes, there's there's this there's this program. Uh, they do it on Saturday, Saturday mornings, and then they they brought in counselors and then they confirmed it, and then according to statistics too, uh, they are being divorced. There's divorce all the time. Divorce are going on all the time, and uh, I met a counselor personally, and she told me that like that's what is going on. Christian marriages. I just collapsing all the time. So uh, uh, I, I got a feeling that there may be there is something going on in the church that is making the marriages collapse. Okay, so, so I just want to I, say this. Thank you so much. I just want to say this for Pastor Ima. I'm not supposed to be answering. Right? Okay, okay, so no, let me just say this before he comes. Now. I just want to say that statistically okay so it depends on where the statistics is coming from that's why i'm asking who, who which statistics how was it conducted etc i haven't come across that but of course i haven't read all the research in this world i do know that divorces at a point in time were very high 50 percent so if 100 people got married the statistics was that 50 percent of them would divorce regardless of religious orientation it didn't matter whether they were christians who were unbelievers etc but you have to go through all of different statistics, different way of conducting the research, different groups of people. So that's why I want to know, because if you are quoting research, you need to get it really right so you can. But let's just say that it's the case. But for me, I think generally that marriages are in distress. Some marriages are in distress. And some, sometimes when some a very pronounced couple you know, marriages goes into distress or collapsing, and you go like, hey, it's happening all over. But yes, marriages have been in distress. But it has it's, it's, it's foundational. It's not the church is foundational. It's that two people coming together to work on this marriage. And from my experience in the family life services, you realize that when the people come into the marriage situation, they come for counseling. The issues they are bringing for counseling, it was there long ago. When they started dating, 
they saw it, but they closed their eyes to it. They were going with all the chemistry and physics in their body. Oh, I love you. Oh, you look so good. Oh, oh, oh. So the chemistry, the physics, the desire to connect, oh, that's what they were going for. But the things were there. Because sometimes if you invite a third person, a third person comes to them like, look, when they were getting married, such and such and such, there was such an instance where so, so, so and so happened and we saw so, 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 so and so and we're surprised that they still want to go, want to go ahead. They'll come, oh, pastor, we have prayed about it. We know it's gospel. Meanwhile, chemistry and fixes. It's the things they are feeling on the inside. The things were there from the foundation, but they ignored it. So it's like you're building your marriage on a broken foundation. It will catch up with you. You're building on quicksand. One day it will sink. So the issues are already there. And then sometimes when they are coming for premarital counseling, they've already set their wedding date in mind, though. But they want to marry in the church. I'm sorry, you're saying you're a mad counselor, you're a warrior, you're a call. So it's a process. So everything you are telling them is going through one year and going outside. They are not thinking about it. They are not, oh, let's just marry. Oh, it's just a process. Shoo, 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 shoo. They get married in their life. Oh, my goodness. Then they come back and they're at each other's throats. You know, and so it, 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 it's not, it, it, it's foundational. And things are right there. If only we would ask the right questions and we'll be led, we'll see it. And secondly, I want to say that the reason why marriages seem to be collapsing is because we are not behaving like Christians. If you want your marriage to work, scripture, someone once said that Christianity is lived in community. You can't live on an island and say that you're a Christian. Christianity is lived in community amongst people. And the person closest to you is your spouse and your children. And you're the ones that will hurt you more. So scripture even says, I love your enemies. Your enemies, so your spouse is not your enemy. Yes, you can't show some patience to that spouse. You can't forgive that spouse for the thing that the spouse keeps doing over and over and over again. My breath, I'm done. So you have to behave like a Christian. You have to let the word of God be your guide, your rule. You have to persevere. All the things that scripture writes. You have to have self-control. You feel like telling this person your peace of mind. The Holy Spirit says, "Mm -mm, no, don't. They're like, Jaime, I'm not surrendered to you. Holy Spirit, no, look, I surrendered my prayer life to you. So you've been waking me up at 3 a.m. I pray. But this part of my relational life, you know that I'm quick-tempered. Let me tell him my peace of mind so you know. Sister, keep telling the person your peace of mind. Eventually, the person will get tired of you giving him your peace of mind. You get up one year and say, you leave. So it's foundational. It's a foundational problem. And secondly, too, it's because as Christians, we are not living our lives by the word of God and being guided by the Holy Spirit. That's Amen. Okay, so, so Vicky has said much of it, but let me just um, say this, that you see, like she said, statistics depends on who is conducting the statistics and who is conducting the research and who, what they want to achieve with that particular research. Because if I come into this room and I, and I conduct a research, I mean, all of us are, are believers, and, and I go out and then I meet two other people and then I ask them, I can go out and put out, after conducting a research among 30 people, um, we realize that 28 people, so, so, and so, and so, because of where I conducted my research. But secondly, I've realized something that the world likes to put the magnifying glass on anything that happens with Christians. Look, the divorce rate is not just, it's not just an issue of Christians. The divorce rate, and I read a lot when it comes to these things, is huge, it's terrible. Like, outside the country, it's, 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 it's even in the U.S., it's even worse. Like, at first, like Vicky said, at first, it's now gone beyond the 50%. 
There was a church that actually did a, a service and they called for those who are divorced in the service. And the pastor said he was shocked about the number of people who are divorced. Then he asked for those who are divorced and remarried and divorced. And, and, and it was, was a shock. So all of a sudden, they birthed out a ministry in the church for, for, to help people, I mean, in terms of divorce and remarriage. Because, like, it's, it's, it's become a normal thing. So it is not something that's like Christians. It's, it's a foundation. It's, 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 it's basic. That if you ignore the key things in the marriage and you go into the marriage, you want to come out of the marriage and you come out of it quickly. You get it? And for us as Christians, it's even more terrible because for the unbelievers, like they, they, they do it and they go. For us, when, we, when, when the divorce happens, because we are in a community of, of Christians, it becomes like when, when, when someone divorces, like for instance in this church, God forbid, but if someone had divorced, it will be easy to spread because we are in a certain community that it's expected of us that no one should divorce. For the unbelievers, they just, they just go to the courts. I mean, once you present your cases, the, the judges examine everything and they rule. I mean, you're done. Done and gone. And so the point is that there's a high rate of divorce. And that's what the enemy wants to do. Because the point is that when the family system breaks down, society breaks down. But when the family system is enriched, society becomes better. The reason why our society is broken is because it's broken from the family system. Right from the marriages and from the homes. The, the, the people that are robbing, the people that are prostituting, the people, they came out of homes. But because the homes are broken, the value systems have been broken. So they don't want to do it, but because they saw a wrong figure. And so... So, beloved, look, we, by God's grace, we have the Spirit of God in us. We have the Word of God to guide us. It's not, in, it's not from any other place but what God has for us to guide us. And that's the truth. That's the reality. And that's what will make our marriages work and be established. Amen. Amen. Than a broken marriage. Because where I worked, sorry, just one minute, at a point in time, we decided that, look, this backlog of people getting married, and as soon as they are married, one year, two years, they are back in the counseling office. They are at each other's door. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you just married. You just walked down the aisle. Your wedding decor was like, wow. And six months, you are back here at the office. One year, you are back. What's happening? So we decided that, look, we are going to extend it. Okay, so instead of doing six weeks, we did make them do four to six months. We were so kind. We didn't let them do one year. The first one, you go through a dating and courtship class. So we teach you basics of dating and courtship, questions and blah, 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 of course. Because those people, realize they are not too close to marriage. At least you will listen. Now, so that you go to pre-pre-marital. You are not too close to your wedding day. So maybe you marry. Then we pay you up with mentex, etc., and then critical red flags. I mean, it was a whole system. But the point of what I want to say is that the mentor could actually recommend whether or not you are ready for marriage. Of course, you also had your own form. If you disagreed with him, you'd write. Then, of course, we pass it over to the head counselor. This is what the mentor is saying. This is what this other person is saying. What do you think? So the mentor counsels the couple, says to them, and says, okay, well, I think I agree with the mentor, probably. I think that you should deal with this red flag. It looks like it should be a key issue in your marriage. So you should deal with it. We are not saying don't go ahead and get married, but just slow down a bit, and then let's work on this one, and let's see. If you feel you disagree, the church was at liberty, so okay, well, we will not conduct the marriage ceremony. You can choose to do wherever you want to. But if they go, went outside and conducted it and the issue came up, they still came back to church and came back to us. 
But in that regard, when we started that system, we realized that a lot more people decided to, some people decided to take it slow. When we decided that, okay, I think you have to deal with it. Some people decide, you could see what we were saying, and like, okay, well, I think you are right. You know, and let's not think that because you are dating this person, you might necessarily marry the person. A broken relationship is always better than a broken marriage. It's better earlier than after. Then you go through all this. I, I mean, so we are there to make the relationship work, to build. Nobody does. Everybody wants you to get married. We want you to be happy. If they're saying that, look, slow down a bit, it's not because they don't want your good. They want what's good for you. They're saying that this thing that's here, that you haven't dealt with, that you're going ahead, it's key to your marital satisfaction. If you don't deal with it, it might come back, show up, and worry you. So please deal with it. That's all that we are saying. So let's take note of the things that are happening. Let's not be too much in a hurry to just walk down the aisle. We did a wedding, oh, yay. All my enemies have seen that I married, oh, yay. They see me, oh, do you see my gown? Charlie, 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 hush. Wedding 2021, hey. And then the next weekend, your wedding is over. Then you go back and then you're having issues. No, let's work on the relationship before we get married. 